All right. Morning, morning. Good to see you, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Good to see you, everybody. How you doing today? Yeah, right for life? Yeah, good, good, good. Okay, so here's um, part of what we're doing is um, every month, because of the kindness of the foots, we have uh, not just our celebration service week after week, but we also have what's called Community Day. How many people have enjoyed Community Day? Uh, yeah, and so our next Community Day, if you want to put it in your calendar, is October 25th, okay? October 25th, details to come. It's going to be a great time to connect, not only with people that you know and love, but also it's a great time to invite people who you know and love who don't yet know the Lord, right? And it's a great time to connect them to the people of God so that they can save the life, the love of God, and ultimately come to God in Jesus' name. And so with that in mind, um, if I don't know you yet, my name is Roland. I'm the lead pastor here, and it is a privilege to get to uh, worship with you today. What we've been doing is we've actually been going through a series called The Good News According to Luke. The Good News According to Luke. And the Luke Luke was um, actually a writer of one of the four Gospels, the biographies of Jesus Christ, and he was giving the good news not just to a world that already was familiar with the Word and the law of God, but I love it. He was the only Gentile writer of the Gospels, and so he was writing to a people who had not yet experienced the goodness of God, not yet experienced the grace of God, and he was saying, listen, you two are invited to come in, and isn't that good news that God invites the whole world to himself? through the good news of Jesus Christ. And so ultimately what we're doing is we're pressing through that gospel, going chapter by chapter, and today we find ourselves in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and even as last week we were talking about really the vision that God has to build a community of worshipers who are fulfilling his mission together. Today we're going to talk about ultimately when we're involved in that process, when we're involved in those purposes, how God uses his word his mission, his kingdom to form and shape our hearts, to literally form and shape our hearts. Because if anybody has ever been destiny-minded in here, let me tell you what your destiny is in Christ Jesus. You are destined to be conformed into the image of Christ. That's what the Bible says. Your destiny is to be conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ and then ultimately to think his thoughts, to say what he says, to do what he does, to glorify him, which will ultimately lead to your good and the world's. And so today our focus statement is going to be this, that our worship should produce a change that leads us to the service of Jesus. Our worship, which we just did, right? Everybody enjoy worship? Yeah, honoring the living God, right? Connecting, relating with the living God. But our worship should ultimately produce a change in us that leads to something. It doesn't just stop whenever the songs stop playing. When the music stops, worship goes on. But how does it go on in our everyday life? Well, it should produce a change that leads to the service of Jesus. So we're going to break the message down into three parts today. We're going to talk first about worship leading to change. Secondly, about change leading to service, and then ultimately about service leading to Christ. 
service leading to Christ. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've given it to us, that we might know you, that we might love you, that we might walk with you, and that we might be continually changed, formed, shaped into the image of Christ. And God, we're asking you that as we do so today, you would liberate us from that which holds us down. Father, the things that are really pale in comparison to your eternal and glorious kingdom, the purposes that you have for our lives, and that we would run with zeal, energy, and strength into the service of God that we might not only glorify you, but see your good in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's start by talking about worship leading to change. The truth is, is when we worship God, we change as a result. When we worship God, we change as a result. Because when you see God face to face, when you see God in his word, when you sing songs to God, God says that he inhabits, literally inhabits, or sits enthroned upon the praises of his people. The reason why we lift God's name up day after day after day is not only to remind us of his goodness, but it's also to encounter him. It's also to encounter him and be changed by him whenever we meet him in face, face to face. And whenever we see the grandeur, the majesty, the goodness, the grace of God, all the things that began or used to seem big in our lives begin to pale in comparison. How many people know that that's true? When I see the greatness and the power and the grace of God, then all of a sudden the things that used to hold me bound all of a sudden begin to melt away. And so it's incumbent that I get in the face of God day after day and worship him, not only exalting him, but actually allow the Holy Spirit of God by his word and by his spirit to change me. But when, he, when we do that, just as we see with the disciples, Jesus sets us on course to do something. And we see that in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 1. It says, and he, meaning Jesus, called the 12 together and he gave them Power and authority. I love that. He calls us together to do what? To give us power and authority. Power and authority. Power and authority. Power to do something. Authority to do something. Power and authority over all demons. Not some, but all. And so it doesn't mean, it doesn't matter what you've been tormented by in your life. What's held you bound in your life? When you come to Jesus, he gives you power and authority over all demons. All demons. And how about this? To cure diseases. That's just the compassion of God. And then he sent them out to proclaim, to proclaim, to talk about something, to tell about something, to declare something, to give them a mission of what they should be doing. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So you have to understand that these men were those who, before Jesus showed up on the scene, they weren't just sitting around twiddling their thumbs. They had jobs. They had lives. They had things that they were responsible for and did. And though up to the point of meeting Jesus, they were intent on building their own kingdom, whenever Jesus showed up on the scene and he exposed to them the glory of God, then all of a sudden the trajectory of their lives were changed. And they began to be about something bigger than themselves. Bigger than themselves, which is ultimately what Jesus is sending them out to do, proclaim the kingdom, not of themselves, but the kingdom of God. 
which comes with power and authority to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not have and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. Not do not depart. I'm sorry, do depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Everywhere where they set their feet. As we talked about over the past several weeks, not only are you healed by Jesus, but when you are sent by Jesus, you are sent to heal as well. Isn't that the good news? I'm healed, and then I get to pay it forward. Pay it forward in the grace of God. God's transformed my life. I'm passing that healing on to others. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. So ultimately, when we're coming to worship, get this in you now, worship leads to change. And when we encounter Jesus, he changes the trajectory, goals, and pursuit of our lives. It does not mean that you go to a monastery and live for the rest of your life in singing chants and humming to God. It does not mean that. It does not even mean that, per se, you actually do what the apostles did, leaving lives of fishermen, tax collectors, or other jobs to actually give yourself to vocational ministry. But it does mean that the trajectory of your life begins to be about that which God is about and being involved in that which Jesus is doing to accomplish God's ends. And worshiping Jesus means that we are now about building God's kingdom and not just our own. You've heard uh, me mention a man named Richard Foster before, who uh, actually wrote one of my wife's favorite books, The Celebration of Discipline. And he actually talked about worship this way. He says, just as worship begins in holy expectancy, it ends in holy obedience. Just as it begins with holy expectancy, it ends in holy obedience. If worship does not propel us into greater obedience, it has not been worship. To stand before the Holy One of eternity is to change. Why? Because to worship is to change. To worship is to change. So every time we come into a place like this, we might have come in one way, but we're expected to leave another. You see that even in how God set up the temple in Old Testament Israel. They entered one way, but they left another. And it was all predicated on the fact that when we worship, change will be the result. But change, ultimately, number two, also leads to service. And the change that God brings about in our lives ultimately leads to following him in obedient service ultimately leads to following God in obedient service. So as we say week after week, month after month, and year after year, it's not just enough to be culturally Christian. Jesus, said, in fact, said, unless you are born again, made a new man or new woman from the inside out through repentance and faith, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. That's what he said. He says, ultimately, it's not just about going through the motions. It's about the supernatural power of God making you a new creation. And isn't that the good news in Jesus Christ, that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation? He, in fact, says the old has gone, has got to go. 
and the new has come. But if you've not received the grace of God in your life, you're going to remain the same. But when we worship, and in moments like this, when we finally relent and say everything at the cross, everything at the feet of Jesus, Jesus, you are not just Savior, you are Lord of my life. Then he says, I make you new. Not in word only, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately what we see is God does miracles in our lives. What you thought you could not be, what you thought you could not do, what you thought you could not achieve or receive, it's done by the miraculous hand of God. When you meet Jesus, miracles become part of your life. Miracles become part of your life. We're literally God Almighty who came in the flesh in his son Jesus Christ produces ongoing, increasing, repeated miracles on your behalf and ultimately for his glory. And we see that as we continue to read in Luke chapter 9. It says, on their return, the apostles told him, meaning Jesus, after he sent them out about all that um, they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Now when the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. A repeated theme. A repeated theme. You get that? So no one in here needs to feel like you're going to be turned away. If you are coming to God, he says he's happy to welcome you, and he's happy to heal those who are in need of healing, whether physically, emotionally, spiritually, in your mind, body, or soul, God is a healer. And he says, send the crowd. Now, now the day began to wear away, and the 12 came and said to him, I love it when the disciples start to counsel Jesus. They came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he, meaning Jesus, said to them, you give them something to eat. <laughs> you give them something to eat. I love it. We have our ideas about what God should be doing, and then God's like, wait, I got my own ideas. Love that, right? Jesus is always talking about, listen, I've come to heal. I've come to welcome people. I've come to turn people to myself. And people are like, Jesus, <clears throat> you've been doing a couple of good things, but the people are too many. They're too hungry, right? We need to send them away now. And Jesus said, hey, listen, I've got a solution for them. You give them something to eat. So you've been with me. You've been walking with me. You've been worshiping me. I've been changing your life, but now I'm going to involve you in what I'm doing. It's not just you of the people looking to me. You're going to be involved in me getting to them. You give them something to eat. And he said to his disciples, <laughs> well, no, I'm sorry. The disciples rather said to him, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to who? To the disciples. So did Jesus go around and personally hand feed, spoon feed each of the people who were there? Nope. He multiplied it. First he did a miracle. And then he handed it to the disciples to distribute. He said, I'm the miracle worker, right? Don't we love that song, Waymaker? Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, right? 
my God. (laughs) We love it. He's a miracle worker, right? But he doesn't stop there. He's like, I do the miracle, but then how about this? I give the fruit of the miracle to you. I pass the miracle on to you, and you're going to be those who distribute the miracle to the people. He broke the loaves, gave it to them, and they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. What we see is that ultimately, when we're changing, worship leads to ministry. And many people have a confusion about what the word ministry means, but ministry in the Greek literally means service. When you are ministering, you are serving. When God is changing you, he's ultimately calling you to a, a life of love relationship with him, love relationship with others, and service to those he loves. If there is no practical service in your walk with Jesus, let me submit to you, there really is no worship. Because when you're worshiping, it changes you, has you follow him, he puts something in your hand, and it leads to something. Can we make that connection today? That so many people find themselves in dead religion, cultural Christianity, ultimately having nothing but a nominal faith because there is no service that comes out of their purported relationship with God. Now, does your service save you? Absolutely not. The Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith. Faith alone saves us before God. But ultimately, when you continue in that Ephesian scripture, it talks about what God makes you when he saves you. And in Ephesians 2.10, he says that you and I are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for you to do. So when God is making you something, when you are worshiping God, he's ultimately calling you to produce something out of that worship. And the miracles that he's done in your life are to be passed on to others as a form of that worship. The question, though, is, is when we look at how you spend your time, treasure, and talents in life, who do you find that you're really serving? Because it's a direct reflection of what we're giving our heart to, what we're worshiping, what we're building. Worship leads to change. Change leads to service. And Jesus performed the miracle, but again had the disciples distribute the fruits of the miracle. Let's go back to that celebration of discipline book. Richard Foster was not so concerned with his own thoughts. He also quoted someone else in his book. There was a man named James Naylor, and he went on to talk about holy obedience, and he said this, holy obedience saves worship from becoming an opiate, an escape from the pressing needs of modern life. 
Worship enables us to hear the call to service clearly so that we respond, here I am, send me. Authentic worship will impel us to join the Lamb, meaning Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Lamb's war against demonic powers everywhere on the personal level, on the social level, on the institutional level. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is our commander-in-chief. We receive his orders for service and go, conquering and to conquer, with the word of truth, returning love for hatred, wrestling with God against the enemy, with prayers and tears night and day, with fasting, mourning, and lamentation, in patience, in faithfulness, in truth, in love unfeigned, in long-suffering, and in all the fruits of the Spirit, that if by any means we may overcome evil with good. When you're worshiping God, this is the result. He calls you to not just look at the disciples and applaud them during biblical times, but he says, ultimately, Moses, my servant, is dead. You now rise up. You now rise up and be the people of God in this generation to bring the miraculous gospel of the kingdom to the world that so desperately needs it. But worship, which does not produce change, is not biblical worship. And change that ultimately does not change our trajectory to lead to service ultimately is not biblical change. Because it ultimately calls us to not just be something, but do something. Finally, number three, service <laughs> leads to Christ. Now you might think it's the other way around, and I tell you it's circular. It's circular. Ultimately, when we come to Jesus, it changes our trajectory and leads to service. But did you know, sometimes some of you are stunted in your growth in God because you've not met God out in the fields. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the Song of Solomon. <laughs> Anybody ever read the Song of Solomon before? Oh, I love it. I'm a married man. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and I love love, okay, and God loves love. God ordains love, and he tells us how to love, okay? Song of Solomon is a great recommendation to anyone looking to spice up things in their life, okay? Now, the thing about it is it's also allegory. Allegory, talking about our love relationship with Jesus, right? A picture of where to meet him. And he says, yes, you can meet me alone in the chambers, which I think is a beautiful thing. It's got to start there, right? Like we talked about last week, you've got to have a root system that goes deep in God. Not just having moments of celebration in public like this, but having times in the word, prayer, worship, alone with God, creating great intimacy with him. That should be everybody's desire and goal, right? But then there's also a corporate, a public form of worship right? Where we celebrate God together and we grow in the vision and the mission, the character of God together as his people, fulfilling his holy calling. It's like a family reunion every Sunday, right? But then there's also where in the Song of Solomon, he says, come and meet me out in the fields. Come, my beloved, and meet me out in the fields. And there's a part of Jesus that you won't ever know 
if you're not doing the things that Jesus is doing. You understand? It's not just being a moral person, saying yes to certain things and no to others. It's actually being involved in the daily death of Christ that you might also experience his resurrection life. You know what the Apostle Paul said? He said, I die daily. I die daily, even as I glory over you in Christ Jesus. Paul was saying, listen, I learned what it is to know Christ and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, sharing in Christ and his sufferings, that I might also, what, be able to participate in his resurrection life. Let me tell you, people of God, some of us are so content with drinking only the milk of the word that we won't eat the meat. And the meat is coming into the sufferings of Christ that you might somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead, like Philippians 3 talks about. Not just by what you believe, but also by how you live. And as we serve God, we begin to understand that true discipleship, true discipleship, and walk more closely with Christ whenever we begin to serve. Luke 9, he says this, Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Now what this would ultimately become, I'm just for the time's sake, I'm going to summarize it, is this is the Mount of Transfiguration. This is right after Jesus was asking the disciples, who do the people say I am? And like Herod, some said John the Baptist, some said Elijah, some say the Christ who we've been waiting for. Waiting for. And Jesus said to Peter when he revealed that, he said, blessed are you, Simon Peter, because that's been revealed to you, not by men, but by my Father in heaven, right? Ultimately, all service leads to revealing Jesus the Christ. But then he punctuates that by going up on this mountain of transfiguration, and there, on that mountain, with some of his hand-selected disciples, all of a sudden, Elijah and Moses appear. Elijah and Moses appear. And in that scene, Jesus, his face is transfigured, right? His face is transfigured. And then all of a sudden, Elijah and Moses disappear. And Elijah represented the prophets. Moses represented the law. And the Father from heaven thundered and said, Here's my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. So all of the law and the prophets ultimately lead to this person of Jesus and what he would fulfill in his life. He said, listen to him, but then ultimately they're taken down from the mountain, and when they go down, what happens after that revelation is given? They meet a man and his, father, a man and his son who's tormented once again by demons. And that young man is thrown often into the fire to be burned. And the disciples tried to drive the demon out, but they couldn't. But then Jesus shows up, and he says, okay, now, now this young man's going to be free. You guys have been trying to practice religion before, but I'm, I'm telling you, I'm here in my power, I'm here in my authority, and this young man who's been tormented all his life is now going to be set free. So all of the law and the prophets lead to this. All of the law and the prophets, they lead to this. Bible study is not an end in and of itself. Theology is not an end in and of itself. 
Theology is to lead you to the person of God so ultimately it could lead to this. That this young man who had been oppressed all his life was set free. You see that? First the Christ was proclaimed. You're the son of the living God. Then on the Mount of Transfiguration, they say all the law and the prophets are summarized in this Jesus. But then this Jesus who goes down the mountain to meet the crowd says, here's why I've come, to set this young man free. And when you're serving God, it's to know him, yes, but then it's to be empowered by him to set others free. And we see that ultimately as we continue in the scripture. It says he set him free, and then the man was able to worship. The young man was able to worship. But in verse 46, it says, an argument <laughs> arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Ali, right, baby? Bump, 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 bump. The champ is here. Nobody seen Ali? Nah. <laughs> oh, that's fine. <laughs> Here's the thing. That's often what we're looking for. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest, right? We don't say it overtly. But isn't that what happens in our pursuits in our life and our career? I want to be the greatest in my job. I want to be the greatest if you have siblings in my family. I want to be the <laughs> I want to be my family's favorite, right? Come on, anybody ever feel that way? <laughs> when people look at me, I have my own podcast, I have my own iTunes channel, right? Because ultimately I'm looking for glory for me. And the disciples were no different whenever they were following Jesus. That liberates me because ultimately he said, listen, I got a, I, I got a, I got a word for you. When you're worshiping me, it's going to lead to change, but I'm going to have to deal with some issues in your heart by helping you to understand the nature and what service actually does not just up for others, but it does for you. What does service do for you? Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not one of us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him and who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire <laughs> to come down from heaven and consume them? There are people opposing your message, your grace, your what you want to do. You want us to tell fire like Elijah to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to them, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, 
but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim once again the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, there's a transition because these weren't just the apostles he was talking to anymore. A lot of us separate ourselves from the words of God because it's like we think he was just talking to a certain subset of people. And if I'm not the apostles, he doesn't have the same requirement of me. But who is he talking to here? Yeah, he's talking to just the nameless, faceless people. I love that. In the annals of Christian history, I get to be a nameless, faceless person. <laughs> right? A nameless, faceless person. But his message to me is just as true, just as transformative, and just as real. And whenever Jesus is speaking to these people, he's showing us what the nature and the purpose of service is. Service is what God uses to ultimately, if our destiny is to be conformed into the image of Christ, service is what God uses to crucify our flesh, shape our character, and mold us into the image of Christ. Richard Foster again said, if all our serving is ultimately before others, we will be shallow people indeed. The world as we know it is trying to have us crave attention, crave accolades, crave big ups. Isn't that true? And we only do things motivated by receiving those things. But when God calls us to not only worship, but to a holy, hidden service, what he's doing is he's molding and shaping your character to be like him. There was another man who said, Jeremy Taylor, love to be concealed and little esteemed, be con being content to want, meaning lack praise, never to be troubled. When thou art slighted or undervalued, Hiddenness is a rebuke to the flesh and literally to be conformed into the image of Christ can deal a fatal blow. When I'm called to not just think things about Jesus, not just say things about Jesus, but to literally serve Jesus, it is crucifying that which is ultimately about me and the self-worship begins to die. Because I'm putting someone greater than me before me. And isn't that what Christian living is ultimately supposed to be about? He said, honor one another as greater than yourselves. I look at the crowd and I'm like, I see people who are greater than myself. What can I do to serve you? That you might know and love the living God more. But every time we come into that place of service, we're saying, ultimately, I'm crucifying that which would big me up and aggrandize me. 
And I'm saying for the sake of God's glory alone, I'm giving him something that people can see him and not me. Like John the Baptist said, he must become greater and I must become less in worship. I want it to be Galatians 2.20, um, where it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so when people at the end of the day are interacting with me, let me tell you, I want them to see Jesus, not me. Let me tell you, some of you who want to get married in here, I'll tell you when I was like growing up on the college campus of Chapel Hill, there were people who were looking to be hitched. They were looking for a hitch to their giddy-up, and they were all about it, right? They were on the hunt. And I can't say that I wasn't part of that, but I got delivered. I got delivered. And the thing about it is there were girls who were trying to grab a young man's attention. Yes, this bald black man, they were like, hello. And I was like, hey. You know, and the thing about it is that when I met with God and he started to sanctify me, right, all of a sudden I got delivered and I said, wait a minute, it's not just all about this, it's about something greater. And there was one girl who didn't pay me any attention. There was one girl who didn't pay me any mind. I was like, all I saw every time I went to this campus ministry where I got saved is this girl praying, this girl worshiping. I was so friendly, I'd go around the room trying to give everybody hugs, trying to make my way to her, right? <laughs> and she would always come around, and she would duck me, and I'd be like, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord, right? But she was leading Bible studies. She was leading prayer meetings. She was out there sharing this good news of Jesus with others, even at her own reputation's expense. And though the other girls were like, hey, I was like, move aside, baby. I'm going after that one. <laughs> because there was a woman of God who I know would honor Jesus first. And then, listen, everything that followed with me, I didn't care. Listen, give me the crumbs from the table, baby. I was like, I will take that. Because if she knew how to love God, Lord knows our love relationship would be great. And going on 21 years this month, 21 years this month, it's going to be the result, the benefit of loving God, finding a woman who loved God more than me and will rebuke me when I need it. She might be texting me right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> Well, I put it on, do not disturb, <laughs> when I preach it, right? But will love God and provoke me to doing the things of God, saying it's not just about us. It's not just about our family. It's not just about our bank account. It's not just about your career. It is about the living God who set you free and is now using, anointing, and approving of your life to set others free as well. Because that's what's going to be of eternal value, and that's what's going to be of eternal worth. You lead our family in that. You step up and do the same. She doesn't talk to me like that, but I'm, telling, <laughs> but I'm telling you, I feel the provocation every day because we're discussing this word together. That just like the disciples whom Jesus was speaking to, I could go back and say, Lord, let me, let me just get my inheritance. That's what they were talking about. Before I go on, let me get my inheritance, and then I'll follow you, Jesus. Let me just say goodbye to my family. I'll get what I need. And then as, that, as all my needs are taken care of, then, Jesus, it will be time to serve you. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. 
but you, nameless, faceless person, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He wasn't talking to the apostles. He was talking to us. You see that? And if you want to be set free, ultimately you need to start aligning your priorities with that which God himself prioritizes. As long as you're trying to hold on to your life, the part we skipped in that scripture, I'm saying it to you now. He says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it, is what Jesus said. But whoever loses their life for my sake, and as Mark would say, in this gospel, will save it and keep it for eternal life. Stop laboring for things that spoil. Stop building your life on things that will spoil. Build your life, which is of eternal worth, not only for you, but for all that you'll touch, distributing the miracles of God to others as you worship him and change yourself. Amen? Let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the young men and the young women in here, the old men and the old women in here. And God, I thank you that regardless of where we've been up to this point, that you, God, you've got healing, a better day and a better way for us. And God, I'm asking you that even today you would help us to identify the idols, the false gods, the false helps that have kept us from treating worship as you intend it to be treated. God, we pray that you would help us to come to the cross to really find life in our death. That we'd meet you in practical love and service day by day and that, God, you would help us to be delivered from those things that try to falsely identify us. God, I pray that you would help every man and woman in here to really be identified, not just by what their parents placed on them, what their coaches placed on them, Father, what well-meaning teachers placed on them, but they would look to have your approval and your approval alone. And I want to pray for anybody in here who first says, everybody just focus on God right now, who says, you know what? I, I desire to live a life of worship, but truth be told, it hasn't really translated into my daily living. I've been driven by expectations. I've been driven by thoughts. I've been driven by really even goals that they're not necessarily bad goals, but if I were to set them up against God and his design and what he's after, I'd say that my life is out of order. And I need today to come to God for his help to set me free to put things <coughs> ultimately in right order. But I need his help to do that. <coughs> and if that's you today, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Because God wants to set you free in your mind, your heart, your thinking. That the expectations that you're driven by are not the world's, but God's. Anyone else? Anyone else? See, there's freedom when we align our hearts with the things that God values. The scripture, 
very clearly says in the word that, you know, the things that are highly valued amongst men are in fact detestable in God's sight. Why? Because a lot of times they lead to bondage, not freedom. They lead to anxiety, not peace. They lead to contention, not love. And God, I'm praying that, and my brothers and sisters here today, you would help them to reorder their hearts and minds around that which you say is good. I hear the record playing again, just for some people in here, in their hearts and minds. It's like, I want to I wanna let go, but it's like, I, I, I struggle. I, I can't think of any other way to live. I've been doing this so long. I feel like my hand's frozen to a certain way of thinking or living. And it's hard to let go. Well, God, I pray that you would help them today help them today by the Spirit of God to let go in their hearts and minds. Father, that which held them bound emotionally, that which holds them bound even in fear. What's going to come of me? What is going to be the result of my life if I don't do this? This is all I've ever known. This is all I've ever valued. God set them free from that fear. That the things that they give themselves to might actually be the things that actually bring the Zoe life of God. Jesus, you said that you came, that we might have life and life to the full, life abundant. And God, we pray that you would show them that for their everyday life and heal them of anything that's tried to bog them down as a replacement. In Jesus' name, re-identify your people today. Put a new stamp on your people today. And may they walk in the joy and the freedom of that identity. And finally, just everybody keep your head bowed. If there's anyone who says, you know what, I just haven't, I've just never come to Jesus myself. I've heard the good news before that Jesus lived the sinless life for me that I should have lived. Worked miracles and on that cross took my punishment by dying the sacrificial death that I should have died before a holy and righteous God. And that three days later, he was raised from the dead so I could not only have forgiveness of sins, but new life in him. But truth be told, I've, I've never responded to that message. I've never received Jesus as Lord. I've never turned over to the keys of the car. I've never given him the wheel to actually steer my life. But I know today is my moment, and I don't want to go to hell, but I want the eternal life that Jesus has for me. And if that's you today and you say, I need to bow my knee to Jesus, putting my faith in him to be my Lord and Savior, I want you to raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you, anyone at all, saying, this is my moment. This is my moment to meet with the living God, to not just go through the motions, but allow him to restore and redeem my life. Well, whether on the screen and in terms of our virtual space or in the place today, Father, I pray that you would meet every man and woman in need today. Father, and that you would truly make them a new creation in Christ. Show them how to change their mind, repent, and go in a different direction. And God, would you not only give them the hope of eternal life, but make them new today. Show them how to live as a new creation from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you're on the screen today, there are people who can tap the button and we can pray with you, talk to you about next steps of how to walk without this new life in Christ. And anybody who's here in the service today, if you're making a decision for Jesus, after the service, there will be people over in this corner who want to stand with you, pray with you, and also show you how to take this next step in Jesus. Okay? So we're going to end in prayer and communion now. So if we would, let's rise to our feet.